Open with me, if you would, uh, to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad that you're here. And want to let you know that we have been studying this book of the Bible. Uh, That's what we do primarily here at Ascension is we open up God's word and work through it chapter by chapter, seeing what the Lord has to say to us. And uh, we have been studying uh, recently, not just the book of Judges, but uh, the historical account of a man named Samson, uh, the last judge of Israel. And remember, uh, those of you who have been here for weeks know that I've said this a dozen times, but uh, when we say judge, we're not thinking robe and gavel, we're thinking deliverer, we're thinking rescuer. And so Samson is the last, the last deliverer of Israel. And brothers and sisters, if we didn't believe in this room that the Bible was true, this man's saga and story would be hard to believe, wouldn't it? I mean, it would be unbelievable. We've been with him now for a few weeks. While the Bible doesn't record and give us uh, the entirety of Samson's life, of course not, uh, we have seen a lot. We have seen a miraculous birth. We have seen feats of strength and power, impulsive attacks uh, and actions. And through it all, through it all, salvation beginning for the people of Israel. Through it all, God using an imperfect and impulsive vessel to accomplish his purposes. No doubt Samson has not fit the mold of what we uh, envision a deliverer of God's people uh, ought to be. But he's redefined the kind of person that God uses for his purposes, and that's an encouragement to me, and I hope it is to you as well. We now come in chapter 16 to the end of Samson's life, and we're almost through with this book. Uh, Next week, Lord willing, will be our last week uh, in this book of Judges, but we come to the end of uh, this life, Samson's life, and it's no less dramatic than it has been up until this point. It's entertaining, it's unexpected, and it's ultimately tragic. And so I invite you to listen with me, and as the people long ago did when they heard God's law and God's word read to them, they stood in honor of that word. And so I invite you, if you're able, to stand with me for the reading of God's word. We're going to read, I'm going to read chapter 16 in its entirety Chapter 16, verses 1 through 31, so it is a long passage. If uh, you need to sit down, you certainly are welcome to do that. Listen as I read. This is God's holy word. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told Samson has come, and they surrounded the place, and they set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, and then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, 
And at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and he pulled them up, bar and all, and he put them on his shoulders, and he carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her, and they said to her, Seduce him, and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, and we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver." So Delilah said to Samson, please, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you've mocked me. You've told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arm like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head in the wet, with the web and fasten it tight with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with a pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke from his sleep and he pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart. And he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands, and she made him sleep on her knees. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him, and strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep, and he said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. 
and he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. And so they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which this house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. And then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. And please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his, fa- in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. As we begin, or maybe I should say before we begin, I want you, I want you to know something, and I want you to believe this. These events that I just read about, events that are familiar, I know, to many of your minds, they have a a vague Sunday school recollection in your mind, they come to us this morning as fresh and as alive as if these events happened last week. Because this is God's Word, and it's living, and it's active. And because this word this morning fits into our story. It fits into our story because we are part of God's story. We are part of God's story that all 66 individual books that make up this Bible from which we just read and sung and prayed from, All these books tell in a unified way. This is God's story. This is our story. And so as we unpack this familiar to many of you, I know maybe brand new to others, as we unpack this story, as I retell it and try to explain some of what's going on here, I have good news and I have bad news. Which do you want first? So you don't get a choice. You get the bad news first. The bad news is this, left to yourselves, you're just like Samson. 
left to yourselves, you are just like Samson. Now I say you, but I mean we. I'm just saying you because I'm the speaker, but I'm including myself. I'm just like Samson left to myself. That's encouraging, right? Thinking about Samson's story, thinking about even the events of this story. You want to be like Samson, right? No, you don't want to be like Samson. It's like those moments in our lives as parents when our children do something and they do something uh, stupid or they say something stupid and you say, why would you, wait, you're just doing what I do. You're just reflecting me. We didn't learn the way we are from Samson, but I'm hoping that Samson helps us unlearn some of what we are. No, you, you didn't learn it from Samson, but we want to unlearn it from Samson. You inherited it from Adam and from Eve, your first parents. This heart battling with imperfect faith, battling with other affections. And that's why we went to Romans 7, to recognize that war that's waging inside us. You see, one of the things that I think the Lord wants his people to see in the life of Samson. One of the reasons why Samson's life is here for us in God's word, not just this portion, but all of Samson's story, is because Samson's story is Israel's story. As one commentator put it, when he is not saving Israel, Samson is being Israel. I hope to explain what I mean by that if that's confusing. Let's pick up the story and talk about it a little bit. Let's pick up the story in verse 4. We're going to skip those first three verses. Uh, I'm not going to skip them entirely. We'll return to them in a minute at the end. But starting in verse 4, Samson is smitten yet again with another Philistine woman. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically that this woman was a Philistine, but we infer that she is because of her connection with the powers that be in the Philistine camp and her proximity to them. Now, we, as I said before, we don't have the entirety of Samson's life, and he judged Israel for 20 years. We don't have the entirety of that judging before us in the scriptures, but this seems to be an issue for him, this little bit of what we have of his life, these snapshots that we've been given over the past three weeks. This is an issue for him, the lust of the flesh and a weakness for women, particularly the very women of the enemy that he is supposed to be fighting, that he is supposed to be delivering God's people from. And so into his life comes another woman, a Philistine woman named Delilah. Now what's interesting about Delilah? She's the only woman in Samson's life, in this recorded uh, portion of Samson's life that we have. She's the only woman that's named. 
And that's significant because Delilah will prove to be Samson's downfall. And her name hints at that very fact. Two things to know about her Hebrew name. First of all, her name is built on the Hebrew root word that means weak. Therefore, her name might be called one who makes weak or a weakening woman. The second thing about her name is that the sound of her name in Hebrew is very similar to the Hebrew word for night. And do you remember Samson's name, what he, his name means? His name means little son. And so Delilah, this weakening woman, is Samson's knight. She is his anti-son. And it's one of the ways that uh, the writer of Judges plays with this story. This kind of Hebrew wordplay is, is all over the book of Judges. This irony and this playing with the language. Samson, of course, doesn't think anything about Delilah's name. He is driven by his passions. Delilah, on the other hand, we might say, is driven by greed. However, our culture, and there are some, uh, some adaptations or some uh, expressions of the Samson and Delilah story in our culture, uh, however, they like to portray this as a, uh, as a tragic love story. It is not a love story. Samson and Delilah is not a romance. It is an incredibly dysfunctional relationship where each one is using the other. What the Philistines want, we know what Delilah wants, we know what Samson wants, what the Philistines want is Samson's head. They want him out of their lives. And so verse 5 cues us into the fact that Samson, by this point in his life, is a genuine national security threat, right? The rulers of the Philistines have him on their radar. They've had him on their radar for some time, but they know better to just confront Samson because confronting Samson all by yourself or even with an army of 3,000 is suicide. And so they devise a plan. And hey, their tactic worked before, right? (laughs) They'll go through Samson's weak spot. They'll go through his women. And so 1,100 pieces of silver is offered to this woman, Delilah, for the secret to his strength, for Samson's kryptonite. You see, the Philistines in their pagan mindset, they are assuming that Samson's uncanny supernatural strength is some amulet, it's some crystal that they can just remove and take possession of and suddenly he will be drained of his power. We'll get to that in a minute. So they offer Delilah 1,100 pieces of, of silver and the commentators are all over the map in terms of the, the, uh, the, the exact value of this silver. But this is certain. It, it's a load of money. Millions and millions of dollars, enough to set Delilah up and her family up 
for life. In other words, they are serious about ridding themselves of this man. And Delilah, <laughs> Delilah, interesting enough, she's not all that cryptic about her intentions, is she, right? Verse six, look at verse six with me. Please tell me where your great strength lies. And, and, and hypothetically, of course, how you might be bound. That one could, you know, hypothetically subdue you if that kind of thing was ever required in the future. Jeez, what, what was Samson thinking about Delilah's inquiry about this question did did she think did he think that she was just curious was he just lovesick and happy to have her attention is he proud and overconfident thinking that his legacy is from his own hands well, i suppose it's a combination of a lot of those things but Primarily the last one. As I've heard more than one pastor say, sin makes you stupid. And when a man's hormones rule his life, this is another commentator, when a man's hormones rule his life, his brain becomes disengaged. See, Samson is blind to any danger that might stand before him because he is so caught up in himself. He's so caught up in his sin. He's forgotten God. And this, it seems to me, is exactly what Yahweh wants to remind his people, not just Israel, but we who sit here today, what he wants them to hear. He wants them to see, to remember that Samson's life is reflective of theirs. Just as Samson was set apart and chosen for God, so was Israel. Just as Samson and the choice, God's choice of Samson wasn't due to anything in Samson. So it was with, with Israel. Ju just as Samson went after other women and, and sought to find satisfaction and pleasure there, so did Israel. So did Israel whore themselves. Yes, that's not my language, that's the prophet's language, hoard themselves after other gods. And just as Samson will be handed over to his enemies only to cry out to God, so has Israel again and again and again and again. And the question that comes to us as we are reminded of this story, as we're reminded of Israel's story, is are we any different no, this, the warning here is the warning for us as well. We so easily live our lives as if we're doing it all on our own. 
And Paul told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 10 that these things, the Old Testament stories, he was speaking specifically of Moses, but it includes all these Old Testament stories, are given to us as an example. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And so God has given us Samson and his weakness and his messed upness to remind his people Israel of how messed up they are left to themselves and to remind us how messed up we are. Yahweh, Yahweh says walk with me, worship me, look to no one else other than me for your needs, for your fullness. You were made for me, I delight in you, I long for you to delight in me. But the story of Israel is one of forgetfulness. The story of Samson is one of resistance. What is our story? Left to ourselves, we're just like Samson. But getting back to our story and to Delilah's request, Samson turns this whole thing into a game, doesn't he? And of course, Samson would. He is the master of riddles. We've seen that before in this very playful, unexpected passage. And so he turns the whole thing into a game. Seven fresh bowstrings. If you tie me up with those, what's a bowstring? It was, it's actually an animal intestine. So uh, something, you know, they would dry these things out. Before it's dried, he says, tie me up with these things and that'll be it. I'll be as weak as any man. Just kidding. New ropes. They actually have to be new ropes. And then I'll be weak as any man. Just kidding. Weave seven locks of my hair. Now I'm being serious. No, I'm not. Samson plays with Delilah in his pride, in his overconfidence, and Delilah's frustrated now. She says, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? And it goes on and on and on until he opens up in a way that he had never opened up before. And, and I can't explain exactly what went on here. Delilah knows it. Delilah knows at this point that she has gotten something. After him crying wolf three different times, she knows and she sends for them. His hair, which had never been cut, he's a Nazarite, Nazarite before birth. So here he is in his 40s, his hair had never been cut, super long. And he says, cut my hair and my weakness will leave me, or excuse me, my strength will leave me and I will be weak. Now let's stop right there. <laughs> what is going on? Here's what's not going on. This is not magic hair. Samson's hair is not some magic amulet. Verse 20 is the key to what's going on. He did not know that the Lord had left him. You see, Samson, even in sharing his heart, as the scripture says, even in Delilah being 
cued in somehow that she had gotten something more than she had received prior. Samson's still playing the game. He's still playing the game. This is just round four of messing with Delilah and making her a joke in his little play. So Samson's playing a game, but the Lord is done playing games. So Samson wakes up thinking everything's going to be like it was before. He's going to bust out, but he can't because the Lord is gone. Now why the Lord left him at this point is is a mystery. The, The scriptures don't tell us precisely why. I mean, Samson had already broken the other two Nazarite vows. He had already touched a corpse. He had already drank wine. So breaking the last vow, maybe it was the third strike. Maybe it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Some have suggested that the hair, Samson's hair, was the outward expression of his devotion to God. And so when he lost his hair, he lost that picture of a man set apart for the Lord and for his work. So there's a lot that we don't know in terms of the timing of things, but this is not magic hair. The Lord has left him, and that is what is happening. What we do know is that the Lord is eventually allowing, or is eventually going to allow him to see his own self-deception, ironically, through his own blindness. Because Samson is seized, he loses his eyes, he's forced to grind grain at the prison mill. Perhaps they wanted to humiliate him by giving him a task that was reserved for women or for slaves, or perhaps this was some poetic justice. Remember what Samson had done to the fields of the Philistines? He had ravaged their grain, so yeah, why don't you grind our grain a bit? in the prison. This is, a, this is a tragic end to a colorful character in the book of Judges, in the entirety of the scripture. Did you notice that after chapters 14 and 15 where we heard a lot of the rushing of the spirit of the Lord, there's no mention here of the spirit of the Lord. The Lord had left him. The Lord had left him. Samson has shown us a lot, brothers and sisters, over the past few weeks. He's shown us God's power and weakness. He's shown us God's mystery, the mystery of his work. But here today, he reminds us, Samson reminds us that without the presence of the Lord left to ourselves, to our sin, to our passions, we too are blind and enslaved. But the story isn't over. That's the bad news. Let's get to the good news. And the good news is this. God has not left you to yourselves. God has not left you 
to yourselves. He ultimately didn't leave Samson. He ultimately didn't leave Israel. And he won't leave you because of his steadfast love. He has given you Jesus. Samson failed, and so a better deliverer is coming. Israel failed, and so the new Israel has come. And that's what we celebrate this morning is this story of God not leaving a people to themselves, but saving them on his own initiative. If we jump back into where we left off, verse 22 gives us this cryptic hint that God isn't through with Samson yet. Did you see? Look at verse 22 with me. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, what's that about? We've already said and affirmed that this isn't magic hair, right? And it's not. So why would it matter that his hair is growing back again? Why does the author of Judges feel like that little tidbit is good and juicy for us to know? It's because that hair represents a promise. A promise that goes all the way back to chapter 13, verse 7, where the angel appeared to Samson's mother, and he said to her, This child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And so that little tidbit of Samson's hair beginning to grow is the Lord in his grace saying, I am accepting him as a Nazarite again. He is set apart for me, despite what he's done, despite his stupidity, he's mine, and I'm gonna use him. Paul reminds us of the nature of God's promises in 2 Timothy 2, verse 13, where he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And what that means, brothers and sisters, is that for those of us in this room who have not denied Jesus but have trusted him, are looking to him in, with whatever mustard seed of faith you can give, he will keep those who are his. Because his keeping of you is not dependent upon you, but upon his promise to you in Jesus. We know from the book of Hebrews and from what we see here that Samson, despite all of his drama, knows Yahweh. He knows the Lord. And here he apprehends him in simple faith, which is what he calls every one of us to do this morning. Verse 28. It's a simple cry of desperation. It's a cry of mercy, a cry for mercy. It's a cry that looks away from himself. Is it perfect? No, absolutely not. 
Is there a tinge of, of Samson wanting to get revenge on those who have gouged out his eyes and, and ruined his life? Absolutely, he wants to avenge. But this isn't a cry to some generic God. This is a cry of humility. It's a cry of desperation. It's a cry of dependency to the Lord God, the sovereign one over all things. And does the Lord hear this simple, imperfect faith of his servant? He does. Reckless, foolish Samson is heard. He's not been left to himself. And neither are we. Jesus said to his followers, I will never leave you or forsake you. He will hold us fast. That's good news. But there's more. Remember those three verses that we skipped? Verses one through three, let me... Uh, draw your attention to them again. I won't take the time to read them. Maybe when I read them to you, they seem random. They don't fit into the story, right? It's just, is the author just reminding us here of how impulsive and reckless and weak for women Samson is and was during his tenure as judge of Israel? Is this just another reminder of the power of God's Spirit through a man picking up a gate and, and carrying it on his back after he spends a night with a prostitute in one of the main Philistine cities? What, what is going on here? We skipped it because verses 1 through 3 took place in Gaza, the same city where Samson finds himself in now, blind, chained, and leaning against the pillars of a pagan god. See, Gaza was one of five major Philistine cities. It was a significant center of life for that people. And let's talk about ancient gates for a second. Ancient cities, particularly cities of influence, were, were incredibly walled cities, high stone walls to protect them from marauders, to protect them from enemies. And, and to get in the city, you had to get into one of the city gates. And this is not like a little, you know, picket fence gate that you use to get in a front yard. This is a some guys have said a, a 14 foot by 20 foot piece of wood covered in iron or bronze, two or three stories high. These things were massive. And so Samson, he's, in, he's spending the night with a prostitute. His enemies think they have him. They trap him. He gets up. He picks these things off of their hinges. He puts them on his back. He carries them for miles. What in the world is going on? I think what's going on is that Samson is being prophetic. Samson probably didn't even know it. But Samson is being prophetic. Let me read a verse for you, two verses. Genesis 22, verses 16 and 17. God had made a covenant with Abram. And he speaks these promises 
to Abram. He says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son. This is right after Isaac and that whole incident. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. Gaza's gates have been taken down. Gaza is exposed. Gaza is vulnerable. God's enemies are ripe for defeat. And fast forward to the temple of Dagon, Samson with his eyes gouged out, he finally can see, right? With stubble on his head and pagan worship songs happening all around him, he outstretches his arms and with dependence upon Yahweh, his defeat becomes his greatest victory. More enemies are killed of God's people in that one sacrifice than in his whole 20 years of reckless and impulsive violence. Does, does any of this sound familiar to you? It should. And it's interesting to me that the author closes with this burial of Samson. Samson is buried and that is the end. Jesus, the greater Samson, who with arms outstretched gave himself for his people. Jesus' burial is just the beginning. In the beginning of a presence and a victory that you and I are a part of, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Brothers and sisters, God has not left you to yourselves, nor does he ever plan to leave you again. You are not a slave to your passions, but a slave to the one who holds the victory. And so Samson, Samson is here to help us find our way through stupidity to simple faith, through the shadows to the Savior, Jesus. Don't forget your God. Don't ignore your God. Look to his grace. Look to his son. Live by his spirit. Live as the new creation that you are, holy and set apart for his glory in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this vivid, memorable account of your servant and for the picture that he is of who we are in all of our imperfection, in all of our weakness, in all of our foibles, in all of our stupidity, in all of our forgetfulness. And yet how he lifts our eyes away from ourselves to the one who ultimately he points to, the Lord Jesus, the one who is for us, the one who knows who are his. And Father, as we go from this place, we go asking that we might hear his voice, 
That is, that we might hear the voice of our Savior Jesus clearly amidst all of the other clamor, amidst all of the other voices competing in our day. That Jesus' voice, come and follow me. This is the way of life. This is the way you ought to go. That that would be the voice that we would hear above all other voices. Oh, Father, take this word and plant it deep in our hearts, I pray, by the power of your Spirit, for the good of your church, and for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.